Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Philippians. I could, I could sing that song 10,000 times. It is so good and so glorious. I mean, just glorying in the riches of who Jesus is and what He's done on our behalf. And one day, there's going to be myriads of saints before the throne of God, just giving praise and honor and glory to our great God. And the, the halls of heaven will echo with the thunderous worship of the people of God. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation will worship and confess He is Lord. And He is Lord of all. There's just nothing better. And, and we're, uh, it's been a couple weeks since we've been in Philippians, but the heart of Philippians is all about what Jesus did in His humiliation to condescend to come from heaven to earth to take on a human nature, to live among us, and to die on the cross to rescue us. And then to be exalted by God as Lord of all and redeem all who would call upon His name. And then that kind of humility gets lived out in the church. And, and we're going to enter into a passage in Philippians 2 that's just... that, that It wrecked me this week. I mean, I was so encouraged and yet broken by it because... In the face of the humility of Christ, we are humbled and our knees are bowed. And then He lifts you up. So let's come before the Lord and pray and just ask for God's help. Would you pray with me too that, that God would minister to our souls right now? Ask for God's blessing on His Word and that He'll meet with us. Father, I thank You for this Word. I thank You for the book of Philippians. And I thank you, Lord God, that you have spoken. Lord, when the Bible speaks, you speak. And I thank you for the book of Philippians. I thank you for this letter that you have inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Philippi. And Lord, I'm, I'm helped by it. I know we have been helped by it. And I just pray that you would anoint your word, that you would give us a vision of Jesus as the humble servant and exalted king. And, and Lord, where there's pride in our souls, God, that you would humble us and help us, Lord, to see the beauty of Jesus' humility. And may, may it work in us that other-centered, sacrificial kind of love that prefers others' needs ahead of our own. Serving, loving, living to the glory of God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, come upon this time. Rend the heavens and come down and meet with us in your word. For we are worshiping you as we hear from you in your word. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' mighty, majestic name. So, we live in a culture that is the opposite of the humility of Christ. We live in a culture that is proud-hearted, narcissistic, me-centered, my way, right away. 
everything from the way our advertising is done is to get at, get what you want. Like, you be you. You do you. And everything gets kind of radiates around the center of self and exalts self on the throne instead of the humility and the condescension and the willingness to step out of ourselves and meet the needs of others, we live and we breathe in the air of the culture that says, do it your own way and get what you can while you can at the expense of others. And even our television shows popularize that sort of thing, right? Some of the characters on our shows are, are so self-centered, so narcissistic, so about the applause of men, and, 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 and you don't have too many shows about Mother Teresa. You don't have too many shows about people who just poured themselves out to serve and love and who abase themselves so that they might love and serve others. That's, that's what Christianity is all about. Humility is, is the central core reality of Christianity. I mean, you, you can't get saved apart from humility, apart from humbling yourself in your sin before a holy God and saying, I need you. I need your forgiveness. You can't even pray without the acknowledgement that you're a dependent creature on the living God. That's what prayer is. It's acknowledging humbly our dependence on God. In our interaction with one another in the body of Christ, if humility doesn't reign, schism and strife and division abound. But when humility reigns, we pour ourselves out to meet the needs of others. And I've, we've been so cared for the past several weeks um, by this body, and, and we're blessed. And I just want to thank you for the the care and the support that we had through this season that's been tough, especially on my wife and, and the kids, but she's recovering well, and, and we're just helped in seeing the humility and the service and the love that this church has poured onto us. That reflects the heart of Jesus. That reflects the heart of Christ. And this message essentially is going to be about the, the mindset of Jesus as the humble servant and exalted king. And we're going to be learning what it means to walk in humility and be like Jesus. But I don't want us to up front be thinking this in our minds like, like you, here's how you get saved. You've got to be like Jesus. Because that's not how we get saved. We don't, we, don't, we don't try to be like Jesus to get saved. We need to get saved because we're not like Jesus. Because we're more proud-hearted than we admit, right? Because we do struggle with sin. Because we do not thank God. We do not naturally honor God. We do not naturally pour ourselves out to meet the needs of others. We are often self-seeking. We are often me-centered. 
We are often, think about all of the struggles in marriage or as a daughter or son in a family, all of your struggles probably devolve down at some point to a proud heart or to a selfish expression. Right? Sibling rivalry? That just happens because everybody walks like Jesus, right? No, <laughs> right? It happens because we're proud-hearted and we're self-seeking. Husband and wife butting heads. A lack of respect for authority at work. A sense of, 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 of denigrating the personhood of different people that we're just like, oh, I don't want to be around them. No, no, this happens because pride and selfishness creeps in. And so we need to see this picture of Jesus. And in our passage, we're going to see that Paul is actually all about this. He's all about helping us get a Christ mindset. A mindset of humility that eventually leads to exaltation. And, and look real quick as we're in Philippians, verse 1. Let's not think Paul's detached from this. Verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, and how does he open the letter? But just to say... Uh, Servants of Christ Jesus. That's chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. It's as if he's saying, the language I want to communicate to open my letter to you is just to say, I'm a servant. And I'm a servant of Christ. And if you remember the last time we got into Philippians, we talked about living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. A life that's in step with the gospel in uh, chap uh, verse 1, or sorry, not verse 1, chapter 1 and verse 27, Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he says, stand firm in one spirit and one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. There's this idea of, you're to have a united mind standing together. And what is that mind? That's what we're going to see in this passage. It's the mind of Christ. It's the mind of humility that produces harmony in the body of Christ and is supernatural. And you do not see it out in the world in the ways in which it's expressed in the church. The kind of love. In the first century, Christians were known for their love for others. Even so much that in the middle of pandemics, which they had plagues of all sorts of kinds, they were known as the ones who would actually go into danger to serve people at their own expense. Out of love. They had love feasts they were kind of made fun of because everything they did was about loving each other, meeting each other's needs, coming together and serving. And then they went out to a world that hated and persecuted them with this gospel message of Jesus, the humble one who was crucified. And he was raised up three days later for life-giving realities to all who would receive that by faith. So let's look at chapter 2. And we're going to read just straight through and just kind of get a vision of this. And you're going to see it break up as... as 
uh, really verses 1 through 5 are going to set up this idea of the mind of Christ or this mindset that Paul wants us to adopt. And then we're going to see in verses 6 to 8, we're going to see the humility of Christ as our supreme example of that humble mindset. And then we're going to see in verses 9 to 11, the exaltation of Jesus as King. So let's look at this and and walk through and see that right there in the text. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, those are all gospel realities that believers have. This is for believers. Complete my joy. By being what? By being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord in one mind, and do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind in you, that mind of humility, right? Have this mind in you or among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I could read that 10,000 times because... Right, it ends with a name above all names. And so we see very clearly that there's this mindset that's to be adopted. We're to have this mind of Christ, this humble mindset. And it's, it's being fleshed out in the daily life of the church. And there's nothing that would bring Paul more joy. He's like, complete my joy, brothers and sisters, by being this way towards one another. Don't, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Don't do anything out of conceit. You're not competing against each other. You're not to be rivals. You're not to be butting heads over things, but prefer one another ahead of yourself. In humility, count others more important than you. That takes supernatural work in your heart. That takes gospel realities changing your life to make you lay your life down the way Jesus did. And that's powerful, but that's what this text is summoning forth in us. Let others' interests be pursued ahead of your own. I don't know about you, and I don't naturally do that. Oftentimes, I'm thinking about my interests. And ultimately, I'm just reminded I'm wrecked by this text in a good way. I'm humbled by this text in a good way because we need to be floored by a vision of who Jesus is and what he did because he is the supreme example 
of this mindset that's going to be put before us. Let this mind be among you. That's already yours in Christ Jesus, Paul says. That is staggering. I was reading commentators this week and they're like, this is like the Mount Everest of Philippians, right? You're going you're gonna to get to the apex. You're climbing the mountain. And, you know, it's beautiful to see the scenery when you're on the side of the mountain. But when you're on top and it's like the Himalayas and you're in Mount Everest and you're seeing a picture of Jesus in all of his glorious humility and his exaltation, man, it, it changes you. It's like, it's like the, the apostles when they went to the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and they didn't know what they were going to get into. But they go with Jesus and it's, it's, it's Peter um, and Andrew and John. And ultimately they're there as Jesus' inner circle and Jesus transfigures himself on that mountain and just pulls back the veil and shows them his glory. And it's like radiant white. His face is shining like the sun. Immediately they fall to the ground. And a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And they were utterly afraid. And Jesus said, Rise. Rise and come with me. The call to follow Jesus is a call to follow him in all of his glory and to understand this mindset is something that will affect your marriage. It will affect the way that you operate at school. It will affect the way that you treat other people. It will affect the way you display the gospel to the world around you because the world is not going to want to see a, a, a gospel proclaimed by a bunch of people who are infighting or selfish or are narcissistic themselves. No, the gospel actually changes us. It humbles us. It breaks us in order to build us up. And perhaps today... Perhaps there's pockets of pride in your own life that you've been seeing this week or these past months or even in, in, in the, hot, the hot sort of um, oven of this whole 18 months that we've been in a pandemic have brought out some ugliness in you that you need to deal with before God and get help from Jesus and get the encouragement of Paul to put on the mind of Christ. And that happens by setting before you the beauty of Jesus as our example. Let's look at it in verse six and just be encouraged as we see it. Verse five says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. But then verse six tells us, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Though he was in the form of God, 
He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We're going to get into some theology today, but I don't want it to be like, you know, lights out, snooze fest. This is Jesus Christ. He is the one who came from eternity. He's the eternal divine son of God who was with the father in full glory for all eternity. And you will not understand his humility and his condescension and what he did coming to earth, taking on humanity. If you don't realize from where he came, he's the glorious one. He's the king of heaven. He's the one who was in the form of God. And don't don't read that like he was like something like God. No, he was God. He was fully equal with God the Father, co-eternal, co-equal, very God of very God. And this God doesn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. And that means he, he, he doesn't hold on to his divine prerogatives, but he veils them in flesh. He could have used his divine prerogatives to get what he wanted, but he humbled himself, taking on flesh. So when you think of Christmas and you think of the incarnation, this passage should just bubble up in your heart as you're thinking about the one who did not, he he was in the form of God, but he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped at or snatched. He already had it. And he waves his privileges, and he wraps himself in full humanity and degrades and abases himself to become one of us. We have not seen the likes of that kind of humility in all of history, but it entered the world in the person of Jesus. And when people looked at the babe in Bethlehem and they saw him, he wasn't born a regal king. He was born in a manger, in a feeding trough. And he was the Lord of the universe among us. When people looked at him, they didn't see like, you know, they didn't get that transfiguration bit. They saw a carpenter's son. Just an average guy. We read in uh, uh, Isaiah 53. He, he had no comeliness in his appearance. He, didn't, he wasn't much to look at. Oh, but he was fully God. And fully man. And he came from heaven to earth to rescue us by abasing himself and humbling himself and bringing himself low. You see this descent in this text as you see it? Look. He did not, though he was God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, verse 6. And then verse 7 says, but what did he do? But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Jesus made himself nothing. He made himself a nobody. He made himself a man. Look at what this nothing means. It doesn't mean that he, he emptied himself of divine attributes. It doesn't mean that he, he like, you know, somehow subtracted some God attributes or he ceased to be God. No, he was fully God, but he made himself of no reputation and he came 
as a servant, taking the form of a servant. What does it look like? Verse 7 says he takes the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And we often gloss over that idea of this servant reality of who Jesus was. But the idea there is the first century bondservant. It's, it's a slave. It's somebody, in those days, slaves would um, not be slaves, you know, perpetually. It was usually a seven-year period where they would sell themselves. In order to provide for their families, they would indenture their servitude. And, and, and so they would care for their families by giving themselves up to work for a household. And so what would happen is at the end of the seven-year period in Israel, you would have this situation where there'd be something called the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee is this year that all the slaves get freed, no matter what. Except in one case, if a slave loved his household so much that he decided, I want to willingly, voluntarily give myself to serve this house, they would take him, and they would put a nail in his ear and he would serve that house out of love and out of delight voluntarily forever. He would be linked in that service. That is the word that Jesus or that Paul uses of Jesus when it says in verse seven, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. This humiliation descends into the form of servant. And all through the Bible, Jesus is talking to the disciples and they're like, we want to be made, we want, who's the greatest among us, Jesus? How can I be great? And he's like, pulls a little kid before them and he says, you got to humble yourself and become like this child and serve. And then he says, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But those who exalt themselves and puff themselves up, they're going to be humbled. Jesus lived that out. He humbled himself and then he was exalted. And he took the form of a servant and he was born in the likeness of men. You got to think about that. Sometimes we sanitize Jesus' humanity a little bit. He was born like us. He was born like us in one sense, but virgin born. So in another sense, he's completely unique. He's the Son of God being born fully man, fully God. And when people saw him, I mean, Jesus got tired. Jesus had to be nursed by his mom. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in all of these ways as a man, like a real man. Jesus experienced all the frustrations of living in a world that's just like he stubbed his toe and stuff. Sometimes we're like, Jesus is so holy, he's like, he stubs his toe and it's like, uh, you know, like, no, he actually stubbed his toe. He actually knew what it was like to step on a nail. He's a carpenter's son, right? This is just like real life. Like he did real life and he lived among us. And why did he do it? To serve us. He said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He had to become one of us so that he could redeem us. 
He had to become one of us so he could obey in our place. You're never going to get there with your own good works. You're never going to get there with your own obedience. You're never going to pull up your bootstraps and merit heaven. Jesus had to do it for you. That's why he abased himself and he became a servant. And he lived the perfect life you never could. He faced Satan in the wilderness temptations. And unlike Adam, he did not fall into sin. He was without sin and tempted in every point. This is Jesus who was sent from heaven to earth and really lived a life as a man so that he could head towards the cross. Because it doesn't just stop there. This is already humble enough. And I hope this is producing in you like this is what our Lord did for us. It should produce humility in you. There's verses all through the New Testament that talk about like because Jesus forgave us, we ought to forgive others. Because Jesus loved us, we ought to love others. Because Jesus humbled Himself for us, we ought to humble ourselves and serve others. Is this not the Jesus who went to the disciples and in an unexpected way, He wraps a towel around His waist and begins to wash their feet and stoop. And it was nasty back then. You know, you had a lot of gross stuff. Everything that got picked up from outside, there was no sewer systems. You were walking through some nasty stuff. The sewers were outside. When you came in, your feet were disgusting. And Jesus comes and cleans that up. And you remember Peter's like, uh, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. <laughs> you're not going to wash my feet. And he's like, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Because Jesus has to clean us. Jesus came to serve, and he came to clean us. He came to clean us up. And he was talking about the heart. I need to clean your heart. Some of you need your heart cleaned. We all need them cleaned. And when we become Christians, like Jesus cleanses us. His sacrificial servant heart that laid it out on a cross and died for us and rose from the dead was to clean us because we're unclean before God. Perhaps some of you need to get clean today for the first time and get help. Call to Him. And you're going to see, he, he summons this reality. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was headed to the cross. His full obedience was moving towards the cross. There's this sense of buildup all through the, the gospel accounts that we're headed towards something. We're headed towards a Roman cross. We're headed towards the, 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 the profound, redemptive work of God that was planned before all ages that Jesus would do after He lived the perfect life of obedience and submission to the Father's will. He pours Himself out on a cross. And you have to understand that the cross is scandalous. 
The cross is abject humiliation. Jesus would have been hanging on a cross totally naked, totally exposed, condemned like a criminal on our behalf. Jesus would actually be so abased on that cross, he would be mocked. He would be spit on. They would say things like, if you're the king of the Jews, throw yourself or, or save yourself. Come down up off that cross. Ironically, he needed to stay on the cross so that he might save others. He was forsaken so that we might be forgiven. His humiliation, his abject humiliation was for our redemption. Do you see, he had to hang on the tree and bear the curse. And in Jewish law, cursed is a man who is hanged on a tree. He bore the curse. Barabbas went free, a, a criminal and a murderer, and Jesus took his place. And that's a picture of what happened for all who believe. Jesus bore it all on the cross on Calvary. He paid it in full and he yielded up his spirit to God and it is finished. The work of redemption is done for the people of God. If you will believe, you can be saved and made totally new and cleansed because he humbled himself all the way to the cross. But he didn't stay dead. He was cursed for us so that the curse might be reversed in us. And forever one day, we'd be glorified. And sin's power and sin's penalty and one day sin's presence will be totally defeated because of what happened on a cross in humility, verse 8 says. So we see the mindset we need, we see the humility that Jesus displayed. And now, get ready for exaltation. Because whoever humbles himself gets exalted. Verse 9, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean, this is the crescendo. This is, God is glorified in the raising of Jesus up out of the grave as Lord of all, as the supreme vindication of who He is as the Son of God. He raises Jesus up out of the tomb. Three days later, as the yes to his sacrifice on a cross and as the ultimate affirmation of who Jesus is as Lord of all creation. And we sung this song about the name above all names. He's the name above all names. He was given the name above all names. He was highly exalted. And that name is Lord. That's the same name that is given to the covenant name of God in the Old Testament. The Jews said it was so holy they wouldn't pronounce Yahweh. And so instead, they called God Lord. Jesus is equated 
with God in the Old Testament. So every Jew who trusts Jesus would now confess this Jesus is the same God who spoke to Moses at the burning bush and said, I am who I am. You go tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. He is the one who parted the seas in the Exodus. He's the one who fell the walls of Jericho. He's the one behind the power of Samson. He's the one behind the power of David as he comes up against Goliath when he's facing the giant and the giant has talked smack on the God of Israel. Yahweh reigns. This is Jesus. And every time a Christian confesses the name of Jesus Christ as Lord, he is acknowledging, he's humbling himself and acknowledging Jesus is Lord of all and affirming the truthfulness of what Jesus did in humbling himself to die to rescue us and being exalted at the right hand of God as Lord of the universe the supreme master and Lord of the universe. And this should like, this should be like sending shivers through your body. Like this is the Lord. This is who we worship. This is who we praise. This is who we honor. And he is powerful to save all who will come near to him in faith. And is that not what we see here? The name at the name Verse 10, so that, here's the purpose of the exaltation. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is not talking about universal salvation because the passage it's drawn from in the Old Testament and Isaiah speaks of those who would reject it but be brought under submission anyway. So it's as if it's saying, you're either going to acknowledge that Jesus is the sovereign Lord of all by coming humbly in faith and receiving the forgiveness, receiving the love and acknowledging his lordship over your life. Or one day you will be before God in judgment and you will acknowledge the truth then. Because he's Lord of all, he's worthy of our praise, and those who reject him, they cut themselves off from the one who humbled himself to save them, and out of divine love came to rescue them from the sins, from that proud, me centered, me, myself, and I, me, monster, Ebenezer, Scrooge, short of life. And maybe you're like, I'm not Ebenezer Scrooge. But the Bible says the wrath of God is coming upon those who did not acknowledge God or give thanks to him. Though he made all things and it's clearly evident, they did not honor him as God, but rejected him and heaped up idols. And that's what you do when you put self on the throne. The idol is worship. The worship of self, the worship of something else and jesus came to rescue that you from that and all the philippians knew that this idea that jesus is lord of all is saying at the same time that caesar isn't 
Everybody called Caesar Lord. Everybody bowed down to Caesar in those days. Not Christians. Because there's only one Lord. And they'd be willing to go to the grave on that. Oh, that we would get a hold of this. That we would be affected by the humility of Christ. The condescension that would come to a cross and be crucified for us and cursed for us. And then raised up to exaltation. And though you don't earn it by humility, you receive the humble one by faith. And He rescues you. And one day you will be exalted and glorified because of who Jesus is. And you will reign with Him forever and ever. And every tribe and every tongue and every nation will be singing before the throne of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world it was planned. And this marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be glorious. And God is summoning faith in you to believe on the cross. To believe on the One who died for you. The One who went to the cross and was risen. He's like nobody else. And He can produce humility in your soul that helps you love one another. That helps your marriages. That helps you live and navigate the social pressures of school and, and the difficulties of the me-centered culture that you're going to face, you look to Christ. And He infuses humility into your soul. He changed history. And He's bringing history to completion. And He has called us at Smithfield Baptist Church to follow Him as Lord of all. Not partial Lord. Not one day a week Lord. Not Lord of a little bit. Not Lord of my pocketbook. Uh, not Lord of you know the stuff I do on Wednesday. No, He's Lord of all. Right? Let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. It's all for Christ. And when we come to Him, we humble ourselves and we receive all that He is and He changes us so that we could have the mind of Christ and we can live the realities knowing that we can have the same mind, the same love, the same Holy Spirit that is flowing through our lives to live out Christianity and to be light to this world because we must shine the light of the Gospel, of the humiliation of the Son of God and His exaltation as King for the redemption of all who would believe. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for this Word. I thank You for this text. It's hard to do justice to the beauty and magnificence of this text, but I pray, God, that it would change us. I pray that it would change our hearts, change our souls, produce humility, produce awe and wonder at just what You did in sending Jesus to live for us. And it glorifies You, Lord. It glorifies You. And perhaps there are some here who just need to receive that. They just need to come to Jesus in humble faith. They just need to admit their sin. They just need to come knowing that Jesus is the King who can rescue them and save them and clean them and make them new. And I just pray, Father, that You would bring about repentance where we need it and bring about restoration where we need it and lord 
I just pray if hearts are heavy, that you would help us to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And in due time, you will lift us up. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace. And we pray your spirit would be on us as a church, that we would be about the business of living out humility and harmony in the midst of the body of Christ so that we'd be a light to the world, a city on a hill. In Jesus' name, amen.